poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and John Chai. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today is Tuesday, which means it is a tactical day, and I am joined by my co-host, John Chai. John, what's up, sir? How's it going? Doing pretty good. New month. New month. New theme. New theme, new month, new theme. Not new episode, new theme. We need a new month for a new theme. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I was just just realizing that it's it's February first now. It's spring. We got we got a uh, new strats to. You're close. To talk about it's now. it's almost February first. Oh, sorry, not April. 1st. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> April, but close enough. You know, just. Rounding error, I guess. I was I was looking at the two on April second because t- we're recording on the second today, and and my brain just said February. Yeah, sure. That's a that's a great story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally believe it. You didn't lose track of the month. Um, what what is the theme for all of April or just today's show? Uh, we'll see. Maybe for all of April, but at least for today's show, the theme is going to be um bluffing the small size on the river and finding times and situations where that's uh, maybe the way to go versus the way more commonly used big size or jam or you know whatever size you guys mostly see me use on the river when I'm bluffing. Um, again, I think this is somewhat related to like a recent like CPG wolves um, kind of concept that you know we've been just been trying to hammer home in, in a lot of coaching sessions, which is just making sure that you are picking your targets that you're trying to bluff um, appropriately and using the right sizes uh, based on the hands that you're trying to fold out. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to just blow through four of these small river bluffs and see what you think about them. All right, let's do it. Small river bluffs. So hand number one, villain who I assume is a fish mm. limps the cutoff. Small blind limps. You have seven, eight of spades in the big blind. I'm going to imagine that you just ISO here. Yeah. I think this is a hand that um, it's kind of interesting, like in the sense that it's probably not pushing equity versus the cutoff fish's like limp call range. Like I don't think eight high is, you know, has some like big advantage over the range that he limp calls. But I think the, the, one of the, Good things that comes from isoing here is that the reg in the small blind is often just going to fold when he doesn't raise. Um, I'm assuming that it's just going to be sort of like a bottom 80, 85% of hands range from the small blind. Um, and I think that does just getting the small blind out of there does bump up our equity quite a bit. Yeah. And I mean, it's this is a scenario where basically like small blind is going to ISO almost all of their high equity hands. So like there's just very minimal threat from the small blind. Mostly they're just going to uh, complete and then fold when you do ISO. So like folding out their equity when you have eight high seems good. And then also 
going heads up post flop against uh, against a fish also seems good. So, yeah, I'm on board. You make it forty. I think you could probably go to fifty, but whatever. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the sizing here too is kind of interesting because, like, what what's like the the real goal? Like, what what are we trying to accomplish with with this ISO? It's mostly just fold out, get just get the small blind out of the hand, right? And like again, when we have a hand that's not pushing a lot any equity really versus the cutoffs limp call range um you know i think not putting in tons of money preflop is is also well, good there's time right like we we don't know whether or not we're pushing equity versus their limp call range until we kind of get more information here for post flop but you know there are clearly some like good scenarios where we are going to get to push a lot of equity with 78 suited and we can sort of discern when those are like you know Flop I'm just me. I just mean pre-flop for now. Yes, uh, I think like on the flop, there you know, True. there's going to be times where yeah, but like I, you know, we're probably just getting called by a bunch of like queen ten offs and like ace four suiteds and just you know, not to say that there aren't hands that we dominate and they're like I'm sure like seven six suited and five six and you know eight four of hearts or whatever is getting in there sometimes. But I just think like versus his entire range eight high is not you know, it's not doing great. Yeah, it's obviously not doing great versus their whole range. But anyway, we're basically having a debate over one extra big blind pre, which probably isn't going to move the needle either direction. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you ISO, the fish calls, the small blind folds, you have seven, eight spades. Flop is queen nine deuce with one spade. There's 90 in the pot. Um, since it's small river bluff, uh, it's not going to, come into play the depth but you do have like 130 big blinds um effective here with the with the fish so queen nine deuce i could kind of imagine you i, I just imagine you starting off with a check here on this yeah. board i think yeah, yeah i'm out of position don't really yeah. have much of a hand <laughs> yeah so flop goes check check turn is a 10 now i'm definitely imagining you betting the turn and probably betting a bunch of rivers too. Yeah. I think there's, I think that's probably the most standard way to go. I think we could bet here now that we've picked up some real equity, we've actually picked up a, I don't know, like a kind of an open ender where the top end of the open ender makes, makes a bigger straight if, if you do have a King. Um, so Pretty good turn card as far as things are considered. I think that there are like still lots of other options remaining. I think checking turn is still an option. I think going for just like one river bluff versus like, you know, a range that's going to have like a lot of unpaired, just like a lot of unpaired junk, right? Like we said, it's going to have like ace four suited. It's going to have like, you know, eight, five of hearts or whatever. So, you know, I think there is merit to like just having them check back a very weak range on the turn and attacking that range on the river with one bet. Um, I think if we check here, like it also opens up the door to like check raising turn, um, and I don't know, doing something like that. So I don't know. I, I think like betting here would probably be the standard way to go, like you said, but there are still lots of other, lots of other ways to, to bluff. Yeah, I agree. Um, so with that said, I assume you're going to check since you yeah, actually check bang, bang the drum for checking so hard <laughs> uh, and villain bets half pot. Um, so check back flop villain bets half. I imagine that you're going to check raise. Mm -hmm. I don't really see an alternative path. I think that 
your opponent will likely bet king jack most of the time on the flop um I just don't think this turn card like significantly improves their range, maybe to like a pair plus a straight draw, like maybe, yeah. or some kind of flush draw type hand or like ace jack that now has like some kind of open ender, or maybe like even just a bunch of like suited jack X that just turns an open ender, um, like jack six of diamonds or something like that. Those those yeah. hands probably feel feel fairly appropriate here. Um, I guess for the same reason why I don't think they have a lot of king jack, I would probably rule out some like uh jack 10 type hands just because yeah. they probably bet the flop at a decent clip with their open enders um king 10 as well king 10 as well like jack 9 jack 9 i'm not sure jack 9 could check back the flop and then bet the turn just knowing how recreational players tend to play that mm. seems seems like it could be an option so anyway I would imagine though their range is fairly capped. They don't have straights. They probably don't have a ton of two pair. So bluffing is probably going to be pretty good. Um, you go ahead and check raise. So there's 90 in the pot. Villain bets 45 essentially. You check raise to 174 and villain calls. The board is queen, nine, 10, deuce with the nine, 10 of clubs. John has seven, eight of spades. River is a tray. So John has eight high um and so now i assume since we have a theme this week that we're going to talk about the merits of bluffing small compared to the the normal like big size mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean i think the first thing that like to even begin that conversation the first thing we have to do is just like take a step back and go back into like what you like the range which you assign to the cutoff um and just think about like you know what the biggest chunk of that range is comprised of. And I think it's like a lot of those club club turn Jack X, you know, maybe hands as strong as like Jack 10 or Jack nine type hands mm -hmm. that um, definitely make up like the biggest portion of, of the cutoffs range. There are going to be some hands in there that are like pair plus draw. Like we said, like Jack 10 and King 10 that um, likely just never fold to the small size and maybe fold to the big size, which I think is, you know, one of the reasons I, I, was considering, you know, or I wasn't sure which size to use on the river because there, I think there is a, a region that folds to the big size. Um, I just don't know whether it's worth it to use the big size to fold out their like 10x type hands. Um, I decided to go for the small size and really just target like all the bricks, jack x, all the club, club, club type hands, maybe even like, I don't know, uh, maybe even a hand like as strong as like eight, nine. Yeah, eight nine or something like that. Like some some weak nine X that that could call a check raise on the on the turn maybe and and fold to fold to any size on the river, thinking that I don't value, but you know worse than a nine ever or mm -hmm. something like that. So yeah. I did end up going for the small size here. I'm curious to hear if you would have also done the same or if you would have just gone big and tried to fold out all those draws plus their plus their ten X. I would probably go big personally, but. Yeah. Just better safe than sorry. Um, although I think small is also going to bet. Like small is going to win, and I think big's going to win. And so it's a matter of like which size is going to win more. Mm -hmm. uh, I suspect that big will win more here, targeting their like ten x, mm -hmm. um, ace ten, those type of hands, maybe like ten eight or something. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard to hard for me to know for sure 
which size is going to be just more effective. I think small size is going to do quite well. Like it's obviously going to be a winning bet because they do have enough like busted flush draws. They have enough like dry jack X. I just think like once they don't bet the flop and then once they call the check raise on the turn, they're fairly capped and versus like a capped range full of a ton of like one pair type hands. I would just prefer to target all the one pair type hands and just kind of go big here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So basically there are enough one pair type hands that, that make it worth it to, to use the big size. Here. I suspect there are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like uh, I suspect there are like, we, we can name a bunch, a bunch of possibilities. And if we can name a bunch of possibilities, there's probably a bunch more that we don't <laughs> yeah, even, yeah, yeah. aren't even considering yeah. like 10, six suited or yeah, 10, yeah, seven yeah. suited, but, or, you know, just yeah. some, some real wacky ones. Right. Um, and I would just like, it would feel it would be disastrous to get called by like ace nine or eight nine or eights or something like that. I just think they have like a robust enough one pair range that can merit using the big size. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I think after talking about talking through the hand now, I wish I went for the big size or would, would go for the big size next time. Well, you went small. Ooh, I think this hand folds. Yeah, I think it, it's going <laughs> to fold. They, uh, villain has ace tray of clubs. They turn the nut flush draw, river to pair of trays. I hope it's going to fold for your sake. If it doesn't fold, then that's days without incident. Oh, <laughs> right. you made it, made it through. You fold successfully folded out fourth pair. Congratulations. Um, all right. Now let's look at the next hand. Got the old eight, 10 offsuit, 10 of hearts, mm. eight of spades. Small blind opens, you defend the big blind, flop is king, king five, they bet half pot. Um, I imagine you're not folding the flop because we're nah, talking about this hand. So Got a flush draw. <laughs> you have a flush draw? You have a straight draw too, right? Do I? <laughs> no, you don't. You don't have a straight draw. Uh, nope, don't. You have a pair draw though. Um, all right, so you turn a nine, which, you know, Gives you a nice three straight here on the turn. Eight, nine, <laughs> ten. <laughs> Hand is looking up. They check. Uh, villain checks on the nine. Um, yeah, I think that I would just bet the turn and probably not bet the river. Mm. I decided to do the opposite. Yeah. Check the turn and bet the river. Yeah, if, if check two on the river. I just thought that like most of my like my betting range on the turn, my value betting range on the turn is really narrow to like the king X's that don't raise the flop and don't three bet pre-flop. I don't think I would have value bets on the turn that aren't king X. Maybe that's like a flaw in range construction, but that's really what I was thinking about on the turn was that like I wouldn't bet a five. If I somehow had a nine, I probably wouldn't bet a nine. Um and so, like the value range that I'm repping with the turn bet is is really really thin. I don't even know that it folds out like ace high, like that that level of narrow is what yeah, I was worried about. I think I think it's a reasonable thought. Um, there is a possibility that we could get like very favorable river cards that would allow us to exert more pressure on like ace high potentially. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I guess a spade is the obvious one. Uh, other than that, though, <laughs> I guess maybe not. Maybe yeah. not so many. The so downside many, like, also is, too, that, like, cards. you know, we could fold out queen high and jack high here. And then if those hands decide to bluff the river, then we're, you know, we're not as we're not in a great situation. With, yeah. With 10 high facing a river. But 
Yeah. Like they do have, they probably do have a bunch of ace high. They probably do have a bunch of like small pairs, even nine X and five X, but then they, they are also going to have like a wide portion of just nothing too mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that the turn bet can successfully target. River is the ace of spades. So quite an interesting river. Um, Villain checks. Villain's going to have a fair amount of ASEX in their range. You're going to have a fair amount of ASEX in your range. So, like, it hits both of you, mm-hmm. I think, quite well. Um, when they check the river, I do think they're going to value bet an ace at some frequency. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to check their ASEX in full. You're always going to bet an ace. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually quite a big fan of the small bet here, just targeting, like, queen high, jack high, 10 high. Uh, those type of hands. I doubt you're going to fold out a pair, but now I think... Maybe like deuces, threes, fours, if I am going to... Yeah, like a small pocket pair. Yeah. I think would be the one. Um, But yeah, I don't think... Like, you're never folding out an ace. You're probably not ever folding out a nine. Um, So like, I don't really see the benefit to going big here. I would just bet small. Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking. I think the only thing I would add to that was that like, I think my... the value that I do bet on the river would also likely very likely just pick the small size. If I did river and ace or I was value betting a nine or something like that, I, I think I would pick something along the lines of, of, of this size as well. So yeah, it's kind of just nice that our, our bluffs are somewhat protected by the size that our value would naturally be expected to use. I agree. I agree. Um, so you bet 37 into 117 villain check folds. So you fold it out. You fold it out, the same hand. Congratulations. 10 high. You did it. Maybe he's not a reg. Well, I don't know if we ever even said he was a reg, but yeah, the 10 deuce open. That's, that's a couple pips wider than, than normal for me. Well, maybe they're getting after it, you know? <laughs> Trying to turn a profit. Turn lemons into lemonade. Uh, okay, so that'll do it for the first half of today's episode of Tactical Tuesday. And we'll be coming right back at you after the break. Stick around. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding 
what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. All right. Welcome back to the back half of this episode of Tactical Tuesday. Today, we're all about bluffing small. We are walking softly and carrying a little stick in today's <laughs> show. Um, so diving right into the action here, the button opens to 25. John defends the big blind. Button is 1,000 deep. And John has them covered. So $55 in the pot. Flop is six, seven, deuce, rainbow. John checks, villain bets like a quarter. Yep. I don't think John's going to be folding to a quarter here. Um, so he calls. We have a straight draw. We do have a straight draw. Legitimately this time. Yeah. We have overcard draw. We need 16% equity. So. Hard to not have 16% equity with all these overcard draw and straight draws available. Mm -hmm. Turn pairs to six, so do six, seven, six. Goes check, check, and river is a four. So now we have a decision. Um, final board is do six, six, seven, four. John has jack high. It's kind of an interesting spot, really. I see why you don't want to go big. Why do I not want to go big? Because you have a ton of available nothings. Like an infinite supply of really <laughs> bad hands. So <laughs> polarizing and going big just seems like you're kind of asking for it. 
Like, I mm. would not expect Ace High to fold. I would not expect Ace High to fold either. Um, so by betting small, you're essentially targeting like King High, Queen High, and making it to where like you don't get bluffed if you do check and they have like 10 high type mm. hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get on board with this small bet too. I think there's just diminishing returns by going bigger and small is probably your best bet to generate an overfold. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, everything you said is exactly what was going through my mind at the time. And yeah, that's why I picked the small size. I was not confident that I could get a side of full on the river, like you said. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially like what, what we're kind of saying here is that like when you bluff less, it, it has to work less often. And I believe villains range is going to be fairly inflexible, like their calling range to size. So like, I don't think betting pot here is going to fold out like ace high. It'll probably yeah. fold out king high, but that's what you're earning by, you know, investing $81 instead of like, you know, whatever 33% is $20. Yep. 25. 25.41. 25.41. So you bet small, they do fold and they fold the king high. So nice. Small bet folds out king high as well, which means that uh, the small bet and the big bet are probably targeting the same exact hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one's the slam dunkiest of, of the three so far, I think. Final hand. Ooh, this one's interesting. This one's a three-bet plot. All right. Final hand. John's on the button. Cutoff opens at 25. John Reg opens a cutoff. We got a request, right, in our, from our last episode to make sure that we mentioned the player profile. I think the last hand, if we, if we forgot to say, the last hand was also a reg. This hand is definitely a reg. I would say in general, as a, a soft rule of Tactical Tuesday, if we fail to mention the profile, it's almost always going to be a reg. Yeah. I, I think it's very rare that we would skip over... Um, somebody being a fish because there's a lot of like downstream strategic implications of that. So just for the listener, if you want a heuristic that you can live by, if we don't mention the profile, very likely it's a reg. Um, so reg opens you three bet. It's a four bet pot, son. Oh shoot. Yeah. It's a four. Sorry. Not a single race pot. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Good. Good try. Uh, so cutoff opens you three bet King queen of hearts. They four bet, you call. Um, so you're on the button. They are in the cutoff. Flop is seven seven three, with the three of hearts. They we flop a flush draw. Can we flop a flush draw? <laughs> Sticking to the theme of this episode. Yeah, flopping gigantic draws in today's show. Um, so you have king queen high with a backdoor flush draw. They bet a quarter, totally expected, and you call, which is also pretty expected. Um, turn is the six of spades and yeah villain checks which pretty expected i think i think that like they have a lot of flexibility here and how they structure their strategy they could bet small again they can you know sbrs are on one so they can jam the river with their value so um i think checking makes a lot of sense here with their range uh, and their value portion specifically so they check, you go ahead and check. And the what about us? Do you think we should check? I think it's likely that you should check. Um, I guess you could bet 
small on the turn. I think that might make some sense. I don't think you're folding out ace-king high, though, which is probably your main target, an ace-queen high. Like, other than those hands, though, you're actually beating things that are not ace-king or ace-queen high, I guess. So, like, I guess betting doesn't really serve us because you're not folding out any worse hands when you bet, which is problematic. Yeah. I think the only reason I could think of betting is that, like, we don't fold out ace-king and ace-queen high right now, but if we do bet small on the turn and jam the river, we don't get bluffed by ace-king and ace-queen high. Or not not bluffed, but, like, we don't lose the hand to, like, ace-king and ace-queen high, and we get a chance to fold them out with two bets. Yeah. It's dicey. It's dicey. There's yeah. not going to be a lot of rivers that I think Ace King just folds to, right? right. Personally, like right. Um, Jack on the river is actually one of the rivers that they might have folded to if you bet the turn and jam the river. But it does improve King Jack suited now to top pair, which is one of the few hands that we were beating <laughs> on the turn. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, man. I assume they're going to check and then you've got the option to bet. Yep. So they check the river seven, three, seven, six Jack. And the theme of the show is small betting. So I guess they have ace five suited. (laughs) Uh, Maybe they have some like, jeez. You don't think ace king, ace queen folds to the small bet. It's just like two. I'm expecting too much. I wouldn't, but it could just be projection. I don't know. Like, it feels like it's too much, but I mean, maybe you can fold out Ace King High here on the river. I think, like, King Queen High is probably going to be one of your better bluffs or one of your, your, uh, your few bluffs, rather. Um, a lot of your hands at flat a four bet here. Uh, just gonna have like equity to bet the turn, like um, with potentially suited connectors, those type of hands. So maybe, maybe king queen is like the worst hand in your range here. It's no, gotta be. It's not. I have like, I have gotta have worse. Are are you you're saying like nine ten suited always bets the turn or something like? It is more likely to bet the turn. Then King Queen High. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe King Queen High is one of the worst ends. Yeah. I have no idea. Like, it doesn't feel like this bluff is going to get through, but. Would you jam here then if you don't think the small size is going to get through? Or like, what? Like, I mean, let me think about like what my value jamming range would be. It would be like a seven is very obvious, Jack's full is very obvious. Um, what about King Jack? Would I jam King Jack for value here? Hmm. Possibly. Ace Jack. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah, what's the difference? <laughs> They're like, I'm just trying to find like the bottom of my jamming range. Um, maybe any Jack. Would I jam any Jack? Probably. I just don't think they check enough overpairs twice here at a one to one SPR. Yeah, I also agree with that, that I don't think that they have a ton of overpairs anymore. Maybe the best stand that they have now is like pocket tens. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're expanding like 
a decent amount of our jack axe and maybe we have some like nine ten suited it's like i just think i think jamming king queen has got to be okay like you can't okay. it can't possibly be bad as like utility in the way that it is just one of our natural bluffs and one of our natural low equity hands and we have like a lot of value in our jamming range to protect it so yeah. gotcha okay yeah, I, I guess I was sort of thinking about my entire strat slightly differently, where I was sort of thinking that like they don't have a ton of overpairs that check the river here. And so if I was going to value bet the river, like let's say I had a jack or, you know, I don't think it'd be crazy to for us to value bet a hand like 10s or 9s or 8s even on, on, this, on this river. I would probably pick the small size with those hands, really just trying to get called by like ace-king, ace-queen. I do that sometimes with my bluffs and just really regret it, right? Like, I'm just like, no, like, I pick the small size so that I get called by ace high and then try to disguise my bluffs by using the small size and then I get called by ace high. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, yeah, I should just do something different, which is why, you know, I, I was really curious whether jamming here would be would be the way to go. But I, I, I went the small size again, thinking that, like, look, like, if I was thin value betting the river, which is kind of what I want to represent, um, I would pick the small size. Well, let's see what happens. So you go to 18, so a third on the river, and it gets through. You did it. Zero days without incident. <laughs> and you folded out ace-queen high. So this is a hero fold by villain. I guess I should go even smaller with my value, like 150 maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it could also be a, a scenario where like, you know, the small bet just the small bet versus their bluff catchers has a little bit more equity than the big bet does in this scenario with their like ace king, ace queen high. Mm -hmm. If, yeah. um, yeah. If you're expected to jam all your bluffs. Right. Yeah. Like if you're splitting strat and if you have like a, a split range here and you're jamming, um, your bluffs. That means that when you bet a third, that bet's just going to have a lot more equity in it. Like you said, mm -hmm. you know, your tens through tens, nines, eights, and then maybe even your jack X here going to size down. Uh, just it's very easy to under bluff when you're using the smaller size with those category of hands um, because you just typically are putting your bluffs in the big size. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what I do for the most part. I just want also just for like the viewers or listeners that this is like a pretty rare occurrence for me where I find a spot where I even think to use a small size on the river. Like most of my river bluffs are going to be all in or really, really big over bets or something like that. So, um, yeah, just like, I don't want anyone to get the idea that I'm, you know, just using the small size all the time. It's actually pretty, pretty rare that I get to find an opportunity to do this. As a wise man once said, it's probably good to have value and bluffs in all the actions that you take including betting small in the river here. So well done. You added in king queen to your small bet bluff <laughs> range in a three bet pot. <laughs> or four bet pot actually. Four bet pot, yeah. Four bet pot. We we got a little crazy here. Went from two to four. Only even numbered uh bets preflop in today's episode. So All many right. themes. So many themes. So many themes. Good stuff. I got nothing left i think good good theme well done i will uh catch you next week see you next week see you next week 
Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.